Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Good morning. Those of you who have uh, just joined us this great morning, is so glad that you could be with us. Uh, my name is Rob. I'm uh, one of the pastoral staff here at Crosspoint, and you are so welcome here. We're so glad that you're with us um, this fine morning. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen Amen. He sure is. And uh, this is a fantastic day for us to, to get together as God's people and to celebrate uh, that truth. The truth is that death has been defeated. The grave has been overcome because Jesus is alive. Um, speaking of avoiding death, uh, did you hear that Arnold Schwarzenegger survived heart valve surgery on Friday? Anyone know that? Arnold Schwarzenegger? Anyone know who Arnold Schwarzenegger is? <laughs> Arnold! Um, you know, people don't know this, but, but Arnold was born with a congenital heart defect. Okay, so in 1997, this is 21 years ago, uh, Arnold actually had his first heart valve replacement uh, made from his own transplanted tissues. And, and the doctors, after they had done the surgery, they predicted that in two to eight years after that time, he would actually have to go in for another heart plant surgery. Well, 21 years have since passed, and uh, finally he needs the valve replacement. So at the age of 70, okay, Arnold is still training. He's still pumping iron. He is still in excellent health. You know, in his, in his lifetime, Arnold has, has won five Mr. Universe championships. He has won seven Mr. Olympia competitions. Uh, and of course, he's best known as the Terminator, the Governator, the, uh, the Austrian Oak. But here's the thing is even Arnold himself cannot evade death forever. Interestingly, though, the, the first words out of Arnold's mouth when he awoke from surgery was, I'm back. <laughs> it's true. That's what he said. Death is inescapable. The grave cannot be evaded. And one day, our bodies will be cold corpses, a bistro for bacteria, a subway station for worms. But today, we gather with billions of believers around the world to celebrate the one who could truly say, I'm back. Jesus Christ, the living, resurrected Son of God, who came back from the grave after three days in the ground. Death could not defeat him. The grave could not hold him. He is alive. And because he lives, you and I can live also. You know, there's no other religion in the world that claims an empty tomb for its founder. Did you know that? Most religions in the world are based specifically on philosophies or propositions. The four major world religions are based on personalities, people. But only one of these personalities has ever survived the grave. Abraham, the father of Judaism, died in 1900 B.C. The Buddha died in 483 B.C. Muhammad died on June 6th, 632 A.D. If you go to their graves, if you can find their graves, you will find their bodies there. Only Jesus himself, only Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, came back from the dead. And this is why we celebrate on this day. Now, the thing about the resurrection, and I get this, and I understand this, 
is that for many people, this idea of somebody coming back to life just seems so unbelievable. And maybe you're here today and, and you're wondering, come on, really? A guy came back from the dead? And maybe you're here today and you're a little bit skeptical. Maybe you're here today and you have some doubts. Well, as we look in the scripture today, you'll discover that you're in pretty good company, that you're not the first, and you won't be the last. And so today, uh, the title of our message is just simply this, Doubters Welcome. Doubters are welcome. And I want us to zoom in one, one particular story that happened not long ago after Christ rose from the grave. It's the story of one of Jesus' disciples, one of his, his close entourage, one of the twelve, and his name is Thomas. And his story can be found in John chapter 20. And if you have a Bible this morning or a Bible app, some digital version, uh, I encourage you to turn there. We're going to be reading from John 20, starting at verse 24. But let me give you a bit of backdrop to this story. Jesus has died. He was crucified. He is dead. He is buried. He has come back to life. And he has appeared to many people. He's appeared to the, to the women at the tomb. Then he appeared to Peter, then to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then finally to all of the apostles. But one apostle had not yet seen him. One apostle had not had a, a visible, personal manifestation of the risen Jesus, and that disciple's name was Thomas. And this is where we pick up Thomas's story with the other apostles. So I'm going to start reading from John chapter 20 and verse 24, and you can follow along. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, Didymus means the twin, uh, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, well, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now let's pause here. See, for, so for Thomas, the idea of Christ's resurrection just seemed, it seemed too unbelievable. I mean, he was skeptical. He, he needed more than just the word of his good friends. He needed proof. He wanted physical, tangible evidence. I mean, each of them had already seen the risen Christ. Why shouldn't he have the same privilege? Now, you, you've probably heard the term doubting Thomas before. You're familiar with that term. And the truth is, is that Thomas has been given a bit of a bad rap throughout church history. Um, and then the other truth is that it's actually really quite undeserved. If you read about Thomas in the other parts of the New Testament, you discover that he, Thomas wasn't a doubter. Thomas was just a realist. I mean, he was the kind of guy that thought, you know, facts and details are, are pretty important, right? He, he, he tracked those sorts of things. He was, he was one of those guys that was quick to point out practical outcomes. He was, he's the guy that said, hey, you know, if we do A, B is very likely to happen, Okay, a very practical sort of fellow. This was his personality. Now, it wasn't because he had weak character. Quite the opposite, actually. There's actually one incident um, in John ch uh, chapter 11 where, where Thomas was actually willing to risk his life to follow after Jesus. Okay, Jesus was going back to Judea. There was a cost for Jesus to go back to Judea. He was likely to die. And Thomas was the one disciple, the one apostle who actually said to the rest of them, well, okay. Let's go with him so that we can die alongside of him. So Thomas was, was a, he's actually a bold character. He had courage. He didn't have weak character. So why did Thomas doubt? I mean, what was it that he doubted? Well, because I think Thomas knew what everybody else knows. Dead people stay dead. It's a natural order of things. 
And Thomas, like the other apostles, disciples, he had watched Jesus die. He saw him breathe his last, heard him cry, it is finished. Saw the spear pierce his side. So to say to him that Jesus was back from the grave was just too unbelievable. Listen, if your friends told you that your recently deceased friend had risen from the dead, how would you respond? That would be shocking, right? Why? Because dead people stayed dead. To, to discover that something or someone had come back from the dead would have blown your mind. It would have shocked you. You know, the, the author, Ken Davis, he tells this great story about a woman uh, who looked out of her window, and as she looked out of her kitchen window, she saw that her, her German shepherd had the neighbor's rabbit in its mouth, and it was shaking the snot out of this neighbor's rabbit. And she thought, well, this isn't a good thing, um, especially since I don't get along with this neighbor, and this is only going to make things worse. As a matter of fact, this is going to turn into a little bit of a disaster. So, on instinct, she grabbed a broom, she ran out of the house, she started beating on her German shepherd until finally it dropped the rabbit, and then she panicked. She didn't know what to do. So she took the rabbit, she went into the house, and she washed the rabbit in the sink. And then she got out a comb, and she combed the rabbit, and then she blow-dried the rabbit until it was back to its original fluffiness, and then she snuck into the backyard into her neighbor's uh, and, and into her neighbor's backyard and opened up the little rabbit cage, put the rabbit in there, set it in, closed the gate. Well, a few minutes later, the neighbor's wife was screaming at the top of her lungs. And so she opens up the window and she says, hey, what's wrong? She says, you won't believe it. You won't believe it. Our rabbit, he died two weeks ago and now he's back from the dead. <laughs> Shocking, right? We never expect that. Resurrection is a disturbing concept. It disrupts the natural order. And this is why Thomas doubted. This was the problem he had. Now, how about you? Have you ever wrestled with doubts before? Have you ever wondered at the resurrection? Because if you have, you're in good company. You know, there have been numerous times in my faith journey where, where I've experienced doubt. You know, I would love to have certainty about the things of God beyond a shadow of a doubt. I, I'd love the skies to part sometime. I would love a scroll to drop from heaven, right? I, I'd like my own bonafide miracle, like, like my own burning bush or my own magic fleece or, or some, something like the riders winning the Grey Cup in 2018, right? I'd like something to show me that God is real. <laughs> doubt is a normal human phenomenon. So no matter how smart you are, no matter how talented you are, no matter, no matter how self-assured you might be, you will experience doubt. Let me, let me read you a quote from the late Dr. Billy Graham. Here's what he says. He says, doubts are a normal part of life. We doubt things on earth, so it's easy to doubt things of God. Here's another quote, and this is from a brilliant mind, Dr. William Lane Craig. He's, he's one of the, the foremost Christian apologists and thinkers. Here's what he says. He says, any Christian who is intellect, intellectually engaged and reflecting about his faith will inevitably face the problem of doubt. If you face doubt sometimes, you are in good company. Well, let's get back to the story. What happened next? Well, here's what it says. It says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked... Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See, see my hands. Reach out your hand and, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. The, this, this part of the story just kind of, 
I'm always curious about it, right? So a week goes by. So it goes from Sunday to some Sunday, okay? A week goes by. The doors are locked, and suddenly Jesus appears among them. Now, the text is a little loose on details here, so I always wonder how that rolled out. Like, how did that play out? Like, was it like Star Trek, you know, and you see the light, right, and then suddenly he appears, right? So there's like a little bit of a warning. Or did Jesus just like, just pop in the middle of the room, boom, he's there, and it's like, peace be with you, right? Or, Or did he like appear in the shadows of the corner and just kind of walk up behind them quietly and then say, peace be with you, right? It was startling. Whatever the case, did he walk through the walls? I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. But anyways, I hope you noticed something. Jesus did not actually rebuke Thomas for doubting. Instead, Jesus was gracious to Thomas. In fact, he was so gracious that he met Thomas where he was at. He stooped down and he helped Thomas with his unbelief. He didn't have to do this, but Jesus chose to do this because this is the nature of his character. And then once he showed him his wounds, so it was after he showed him the evidence, then he said to Thomas, now you can stop doubting. Listen, we all experience doubt from time to time, but the great assurance we have from this story If anything, it's simply this. Doubters are welcome. Doubters are welcome. You know, one one of the verses that that helps me not lose perspective in my doubt is Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 17. Let let me give you a bit of a backdrop. Okay, so this is post-resurrection. Jesus has appeared to all of his disciples. There have been all these appearances. He's risen again, and he's about to ascend into heaven. So he's gathering his disciples to himself because he has some final instructions to give them before he ascends into heaven. And here's what it says, verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. I mean, after, after everything that had happened, even with Jesus standing right there before them, still, some doubted. And so if you are here today and you are struggling with doubts, and you are, are, are reflecting on uh, what's true and what's reality, you just need to know this today. Jesus welcomes doubters, and he invites you to investigate, to explore, to reason, to wrestle, and he will also meet you where you are at in your doubt if you are willing. Doubters are welcome. Now, hey, if you're new here at Crosspoint, We want you to know today that we're a community where it's okay for you to investigate and explore the Christian faith. It's safe for you to ask questions, to wonder, to doubt. And, And we want you to invite you to come and to investigate and to discover with us. Listen, we've, we've got different people at different places in their spiritual journey. Some people are investigating and going deeper. Uh, some are, are, have just discovered the new life in Christ. Uh, some are just at ground zero and just beginning to ask questions. No matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, we want to invite you to come along and journey with us, even in your doubt. So check things out. Kick the tires. Look under the hood. And you might be surprised what you find. Well... How did Thomas respond? Let's keep reading. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
When Thomas saw Jesus, he felt the crushing weight of reality. All of his doubts were, were flattened in an instant. And the implications of the resurrection suddenly just came to bear on his soul. See, Thomas knew something. He, he knew that if Jesus was raised from the dead, then everything that Jesus said about himself had to, believe, had to be believed. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was the great I Am. Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus was the living water who invites all to come and to drink. So Jesus was more than a great teacher. He, he was more than a prophet. He was more than just a healer. And so when Thomas had, had encountered Jesus, his only response was to declare with everything that was within him, my Lord and my God. You know, this is a, this is a very personal declaration of faith. He wasn't saying, you are Lord and you are God. Did you notice that he uses the personal pronoun there? He says, my Lord and my God. So he was, he was receiving Christ for himself. He was surrendering his own life to Christ. This is a very personal declaration that Thomas was making here. And when we read about Thomas' experience, I think it begs the question that I think each of us needs to ask this morning. The question is this. What if it's true? What if it's true that Jesus rose from the dead? Have you pondered that question before? What, what are the implications of this truth? If Jesus is in fact raised from the dead, the implications of this truth are far-reaching. See, if, if you truly believe in the resurrection, as Thomas did, if you truly believe in it, you cannot simply remain neutral about this matter. You cannot be unmoved by the resurrection if you truly believe in the resurrection, not if you are a reasonable person. Like Thomas, if you truly believe in the resurrection, then you have no other alternative but to fall to your knees, lift your face to heaven, and say to Jesus, Lord, command me, my Lord and my God. That's the implication of the truth of the resurrection. Now, I notice how Jesus responds to Thomas' faith declaration. Here's what he says. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What was Jesus saying here? Was he saying that, that, you know, we should just kind of take a blind leap into the dark in our faith? In other words, is he saying that really true believers, I mean, if you're a real true believer, then you're going to abandon reason. And if you're really a true believer, then, then the evidence doesn't really matter. If you're a real true believer, then you'll just kind of take this blind leap into the dark, check your brains at the door, abandon all reason, abandon all evidence, and just go for it. I don't think so. I, I don't think this is the point that Jesus is making here. All that Jesus is saying in this moment is just simply this. Most people won't share Thomas's experience. Most people will not have a first-hand encounter with the resurrected Christ. We will not see Jesus face-to-face. -face. Most of us won't. Most of the people in this room, probably all of the people in this room, will not see Jesus face-to-face -face in physical, bodily, resurrected form, at least not until we get there, not until we get to the other side. So, but what this doesn't mean then um, is that we should simply take a blind leap into the dark. In fact, you know, there are numerous places within the Bible where it invites us to look at the evidence. Belief doesn't incur despite all reason. Rather, 
uh, or despite all evidence. Rather, belief begins by examining the evidence, by climbing the ramp of reason. So while we might not see Jesus face to face, we can actually still hear the reliable evidence. So, for example, the Gospels uh, were reliable historical accounts of first-hand eyewitnesses. These are from people who knew Jesus personally. These are people who followed Jesus closely. They teach us that Jesus was a real historical figure. The accounts of his life were, were all captured together. They were written down for a purpose. And the purpose is so that today we might hear and believe, even though we cannot see and believe, like Thomas himself had seen. You know, this, the scripture actually invites us in, in several places to, to look at the evidence as the starting point for belief. And I wonder today, do you, do you know what those evidences are? I mean, there's so many that we could go into and so many that we could talk about. But let me just give you a few of them today for your consideration. Because I want to be helpful for you in your doubt. Here are some of the evidence that we can hear today. Uh, first of all, do you know that there are dozens of prophecies and, and foreshadows in the Old Testament that point to Christ's life, death, and resurrection? For example, Isaiah, if you read uh, the book of Isaiah, he, there are, he has written, that was written 700 years prior to the life of Christ. There are numerous prophecies in there that, that describe how the Messiah would be born into humble circumstances, that he would live a simple life, he would die a brutal death, and then he would ultimately he would rise again from the dead. Do you know that there are, there are also eyewitness accounts of the disciples who were closest with, to Jesus? When Jesus was arrested, these disciples fled and, and they scattered. But something happened to transform them from being uh, cowering to courageous. They fearlessly proclaimed that Jesus was alive again. And, and none of the disciples were expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. None of them they believed in the beginning until they saw Jesus face to face. This was not an experience of wishful thinking. This was a transformative experience. Something happened to the disciples. But here's the thing, Jesus didn't just appear to the disciples. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus actually appeared to over 500 different witnesses. So this wasn't just a backroom scheme of the apostles to perpetuate their religion. No, 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 quite the opposite. These were numerous witnesses in different circumstances who had witnessed the resurrected Jesus in bodily form. Now what's astounding is that these early eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus had nothing to gain from proclaiming what they had seen and heard. Nothing to gain. They didn't gain power. They didn't gain fame. They didn't gain money. They didn't gain popularity. They lost everything from preaching about Jesus. They, they, uh, they were mocked. They were beaten. They were tortured. They were killed for their convictions. And the question we have to ask ourselves is just simply this. Would you die for a lie? I mean, would you die for a hoax? Would you die for a delusion? I like how Blaise Pascal, the famous mathematician and philosopher, puts it. He said this, I believe those witnesses that get their throats cut. From among those early disciples, two are particularly noteworthy, James and Paul. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. He witnessed every aspect of Jesus' life. He would, have, he would have seen Jesus throw up when Jesus had the flu. He would have watched Jesus hit his thumb with a hammer when he was doing construction. Now, I want you to take a moment and think this through. How difficult would it be to convince one of your siblings that you are the son of God? Right? I have five older brothers. Right? They have seen me big potty trained. They watched me crash my bike. They saw me uh, get fired from my first paper route. Right? It, it would take something pretty darn incredible to convince my brothers that I'm the son of God. Something beyond belief. Now, James, 
He was not one of the original disciples. He became a follower of Jesus after the resurrection. What changed him? What changed James? James actually became the head of the church in Jerusalem, and in the end, James was stoned to death for his belief in the resurrection. We cannot ignore James, and neither can we ignore what happened to Paul. If you know the story of Paul, he was an enemy of Christianity. He was the devout Jew, a rabbi, um, who helped participate in the capture, imprisonment, and even death of the early Christians. But something happened to Paul that radically changed his life. He became the strongest advocate for Christianity. And he took the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth, risking persecution, beatings, imprisonment, and even death. What happened to Paul? Because Paul says he, he met and he visited the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. You cannot ignore, you cannot ignore what happened to Paul. See, friends, the Bible, the Bible invites us to follow the evidence where it leads. And faith begins with starting, uh, begins with climbing the ramp of reason. It looks at the evidence. And at the end of the evidence, it says, you will find a person, the person of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son of God. And it's from there, at the end of the ramp, that you leap forth into relationship with him. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably still experience doubt even in the face of much evidence, especially when the stakes are high. I find that the greater the cost a decision is, the harder it is to make that decision. You find that? You know, a number of years ago, I may have shared this story with you before, some friends invited me to go with them to the CN Tower in Toronto. Has anyone ever been to the CN Tower in Toronto before? Okay. Not a lot? Wow. I'm sorry. Um, well, this is my first time going, and uh, the, up, the, 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 the main floor of the CN Tower is 100 stories above the ground. So it's 1,100 feet above the ground, okay? And on this uh, story, let's bring up this, they have this glass floor that's there that you can actually walk on, and you can look down, and you can see all the way down to street level. In fact, it's pretty terrifying. Let's look at the next picture. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's frightening. Uh, so my friends, as you know, we're going up the elevator. My friends are telling me about this glass floor, and I thought, well, this is pretty, pretty darn cool. Uh, and I asked them the question, well, is it safe? And they said, yeah, it's safe. And I said, okay, well, all right, let's do this. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. So we, we get up to the top floor, and uh, here's the thing is, I, I was all brave on my way up the elevator, but when I got to the top floor and I looked down at the, something overtook me, and I had my doubts about this glass floor. Like, I could not step out onto this glass floor floor. Um, you know, even in, even in spite of all the evidence staring me in the face. For example, the dozen people that were standing on the glass floor uh, were there. Uh, there were signs on the walls. On the walls, it said that this glass floor is five times as strong as your standard commercial floor. Oh, okay. Uh, they said, in fact, this glass floor could hold the weight of eight, uh, 14 hippopotamus or hippopotami. Hippos, okay? And, uh, and it actually had this diagram of the hippos stacked on top of each other, right? So all the evidence is staring me in the face, but still my doubts gripped me and I could not get out onto the floor. Um, now, I understood rationally that the floor could hold me. I had every reason to believe that it was sturdy. It made sense, but I could not walk out onto that glass. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, what if this is the one time, like this is just the one time that this floor collapses? Like it's been kind of getting fragmented pieces out of it, and then suddenly 
Big Rob gets on it, and boom, the, you know, or, or what if my squeaky shoes, like they have a natural frequency as I go on, that glass vibrates and it shatters, you know, all these irrational thoughts started creeping into my mind because, well, the stakes were high. That's a hundred stories to the ground below. Of course, in the meantime, my daughters, Elisa and Bailey, who are like two and four, are out on the glass. They're rolling around, right? Got their face up on the glass. And then they start jumping on the glass. I'm like, whoa, 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 you know, slow down. Natural frequencies. You don't understand. And finally, it just started getting a little bit embarrassed because Karen was out on the glass. My friends were out on the glass. And so I figured to myself, okay, I got I to gotta man up here. I got to buck up and get out onto the glass. So, with all the evidence in my mind, I stepped out onto that glass. It took me a minute, it took me a courage, and I stepped out onto the glass. And then I stepped back. <laughs> I said, hey, it's time for lunch. Let's go eat. Woo, I did it. And that was it. What I discovered is that, in that experience, is that doubt increases when the stakes are high. And even in the face of good reason, even in the face of good evidence, listen, believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a high-stakes game. But at some point, you must follow the evidence to the edge of the precipice. Biblical faith, it climbs the ramp of reason. It looks at the evidence, but at some point, you have to step out in faith. Listen, because the stakes are high, it's actually worth investigating. What do I mean by that? Why, why is it... Why is it worth investigating? Because notice also what Jesus said. He said, doubters are welcome, but believers are blessed. Jesus said to Tom, and he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, if you stay in your doubt and you don't move on to belief, you can miss the blessing. And what is the blessing that, that Jesus is referring to here in the text? It's this, is he's referring to the resurrected life. The eternal, abundant life that comes when we put our complete trust in Christ and we surrender our lives to him. Christ died so that we do not have to die. Christ was raised to new life so that we can experience and live in this new life. And the catalyst to this new life is belief. It's the ignition to the engine. It's the switch for the lights. New life comes when we put our faith in Christ. And so today, if, if you will come to Christ, if you will put your total trust in him, if you will surrender your life to him, he will cleanse you of your past, he will give you a new beginning, and he will give you power to live an extraordinary life. Jesus makes his promise in John chapter 11, verse 25. Here's what he says. He says, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. He said, for a believer in Christ, the, the resurrection means everything. You know, if there was no resurrection, then Jesus was just a great teacher who died a terrible death on a cross. Or even worse, Jesus was a liar or he was a lunatic who believed and said that he was the son of God. But what the resurrection reveals to us is that Jesus was not a liar, he was not a lunatic, but as Thomas would say, he is the Lord of all. For the believer in Christ, the resurrection is the remedy for our fear of death. It is the guarantee of the finished work of the cross. It is the demonstration of Christ's deity and authority. It is the answer 
that confronts all our doubts. It is the driving force behind our witness. It is the conduit to Christ's power for his followers. And it is a foretaste of the new heaven and the new earth. The resurrection means everything to the believers in Christ. And if you're here today, I want you to know that if God can raise Jesus from the dead, God can do miracles in your life. He can change you and transform you. He can heal you. He can restore your family. If you have a need in your life today, the power of the resurrection is available to those who believe. And so today, Jesus invites each of us into his blessing. Each of us. He he invites us to step out onto that glass floor. And perhaps for you today, this is the first time that you might do that. And perhaps for you today, this is the thousandth time that you will do that. But he continues to invite us in faith to step out onto that glass floor. And when we step out in faith in Jesus, our resurrected king, we declare that Jesus is my God. When we declare that Jesus is my Lord, when we step out onto that glass floor, the resurrection becomes our reality. Friends, doubters are welcome, but believers are blessed. And so we invite you today to consider, to come and and to investigate this Jesus, but also to step out and to receive him and his promises. That's the invitation that Christ would give to each and every one of us today. Where are your feet at? Where are your feet positioned today? I'm going to invite the band, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to celebrate one last song about this resurrected Jesus, our great King. Let's stand together. And wherever you're at today, I I just invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I just think in this moment, wouldn't it be just really cool if Jesus just showed up and said, peace be with you. We thank you, Lord, that you are here by your Holy Spirit. And your Holy Spirit dwells in us and gives us the power we need as believers in Christ to live the life. maybe you're here today and you are in need of resurrection power in your life. I don't know what it is. It could be a family breakup. It could be, um, it could be a, a, a family member who's far from the Lord. It could be uh, an addiction you're dealing with. It could be that you feel shackled and bondage to bad habits and brokenness. Maybe today you, you feel um, just discouraged and weighed down. And you need new light to dawn on your heart. I don't know what it is for you today. But the promise of the resurrected life is for you. It is for you. That no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you come from, Christ loves you. He welcomes you. He meets you where you're at. And he takes you by the hand and he says, come and believe. Come and follow me. Step out onto that glass. So today, where are your feet at? Where are your feet at? Maybe right where you're at, you just might want to do a very physical, physical act of faith and just shuffle your feet forward. Just as an act of prayer and say, Lord, today I'm, I'm stepping out in faith. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, but today I'm just taking a step forward.
and saying, I need your resurrected life in me. I believe. I receive you. Jesus, I pray that your resurrected life would just begin to flow into the hearts of everyone who's here. Those requests spoken and unspoken, known and unknown. I pray that the life of resurrected Christ would just fill those prayers and that we would see your answers today. We believe in you, our great King, and we celebrate you today. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.